Welcome back to Inspired Incompetence. Two years and counting of early access podcasting. How's everybody doing? Wow. Is that actually how long our Patreon's been going? Yeah, uh, right. that's how long our early access has been going. Okay, I've had access like pretty early. Patreon's a little over that. two years, right? Didn't we just do like episode twenty six or something? We were doing <laughs> early access before before we added War for the Crown. I think. Yeah, I said Patreon, as in like our Patreon campaign, but we were doing early access before War for the Crown. But if War for the Crown's a little over two years, we've been doing early access for longer than two years. That's true. Early access and War for the Crown were part of the same like set of if we reach this much money on our Patreon, we're gonna start doing this stuff. But then it like took a few weeks to actually get War for the Crown like up and running once we reached that point. But early access we were able to just start immediately. So we're in Galaspire. Fucking still everybody. Yeah, I know. You've just had a grand victory against Emeritus, the Grave Knight, at the cost of Kishikish. Oh, yeah. Is that is that really a cost, though? Matt. Shut your shut your whore elf mouth. Jeez. When when did Matt Kuchar become this passive aggressive Tiablith? <laughs> He's <just> so method. <laughs> yeah, you have to really embody the character. All right, well, what's everybody doing? Emeritus uh, fell into the bone pit upon being slain. Um, Do we have a disintegrate left? No. I assume I could just... Or I assume that Arginus could probably just do it uh, in the morning. Well, I forget what the how the regeneration works for him, but that means we're going to have to bring the armor with us. We might have to do the... Uh, the really video gamey style, like, all right, just wait for it to pop up with a little health, hit it again until. Well, I don't think it's a pure regeneration. If I'm remembering right, it's, it's one they're kind of like a lich, like it's it's a certain number of like days, and then we'll start reforming. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was days or hours or like no, what I think the it's, time condition I, was. I think it was one d four days or something. I still don't want to leave it in here when we leave to go rest. Like, I still oh yeah, I agree. This. It is 1d10 days. Uh, well, what? I suppose we should probably dig that thing out of there, huh? Hey, you guys, I'm just going to have a seat and catch my breath, if that's all right. Got, like, no HP. I'm completely out of spells. Our genus probably goes up to Uhtred, and I presume he's over at Kishkish's body. Yep, he, he just went over there. I'm sorry, Uhtred, uh, about your friend there. He seemed, uh... Uh, rather interesting, if uh, if I could say at the least. Mm, uh, Kishikish was certainly interesting. I'm not quite sure. I, I just assumed Kishikish was always quite old, but not sure how time really works on the dead roads. And you think this would get easier, seeing as I just keep losing people left and right, but... Hey, uh, here's one for you. I gotta heal uh, Elksy's blindness tomorrow, and uh, should I try to resurrect Keisha Keisha? How does that how does that all work? Mm, I don't know. What do you mean, Elias? So you guys would know from the multitudes of knowledge points checks that you've made. Uh, this is just something that would have been part of at least one of those. Unlike most living creatures, an outsider does not have a dual nature. Its soul and body form one unit. 
when an outsider is slain, no soul is set loose. Spells that restore souls to their bodies, such as Raise Dead, Reincarnate, and Resurrection, don't work on an outsider. It takes more powerful magics, such as Limited Wish, Wish, Miracle, or True Resurrection, to restore an outsider to life. Okay. So I guess the conversation we would have is Usher telling me that's not how it works, and <laughs> that I can't. Wow, that sucks. Not only that, Elias, but Kishu Kish was an agent of Phrasma. I'm, I'm not sure he would actually want to be resurrected, unless, <laughs> of course, that was part of Phrasma's plan for him. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know anything about Phrasma's plan, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I, I certainly don't either. <laughs> To be honest with you, I'm not really sure the gods know more about their plans than we are's. Yeah, speaking of gods, isn't there a good guy god to help us out? It's with all the bad guys around here. There's a god for this, a god for that, but it doesn't matter. They don't give a shit about us and our problems. Oh, I so wish I wasn't digging out Emeritus right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, finally, right you've got it. <laughs> yeah, go, go dig your hole. So, speaking of Teoblith digging through these bones, uh, Teoblith, you float down to retrieve Emeritus' body. And as soon as you clear the, like, the top edge of the pit, and you are lower than the floor, it starts to get very, very hard to breathe. And after, like, a couple seconds of, like, gasping, drawing in breath, you realize that there is no air in this pit. Uh, a heavy, odorless, invisible gas fills the pit, pushing out all breathable air. So you are free to hold your breath and, you know, navigate just fine. Or uh, I believe you guys still have a bottle of air from earlier in this dungeon. But I'm that something that you need to deal with. Yeah, I think Tom's got this covered. Yeah, I think I still have that covered. I have the uh, uh, wind. Um, fickle winds? Yeah, fickle winds. Uh, which does that. not allow which does not allow gases to enter. It specifically says does not allow gases to enter. Does it provide breathable air? I think that's what it does, right? It creates a barrier where gases and fogs can't penetrate. I mean yeah. it creates it creates a bubble of wind that stops gases and range attacks from hitting you but if there's no breathable air around you you still can't breathe i doubt the spell uh, itself puts you in a vacuum that you can't breathe yeah i think that would be no but you still need breathable air around you the like around it like it's it's not pulling in breathable air. It's it, just making the air that is around you swirl. And if the air around you is not breathable, it's still swirling, but that doesn't mean you can breathe it. Uh, well, then that makes the spell pointless. No, it doesn't. The spell does exactly what it says it does. But, uh, but it doesn't allow gases. Uh, okay, like, I think you're getting hung up on the word gas. There's no breathable air in the pit. Like, right, and what fickle I'm saying... Winds, fickle winds can't... It, there there are spells that specifically do what you're saying you want Fickle Winds to do. Fickle Winds isn't like a Swiss army knife that can let you breathe underwater or like shovel out a bunch of bones. When it says gases, it's talking about like poisonous gases that you're like going to walk into 
and it's talking about range attacks. There is a gas down there that's preventing breathable air, but just because Fickle Winds has a line about saying it blocks gases, that doesn't mean that you can now breathe down there. It's not air bubble. So then I guess my question comes down to what happens when you are surrounded by a uh, surrounded by cloud kill with this thing swirling around you. That is a harmful gas that fickle winds would push away. This isn't a gas of suffocation. It's just a gas, and that gas is preventing breathable air from entering that entire area. Right, and he can move he can move downwards. Where to, there's no breathable air, yes. The I winds wouldn't carry is, the air down with it, is I think is what like Yeah, I think what Tom is saying is that if if he can move that gas somewhere else, the ga- the entire room is full of air and that would just sort of yeah, fill the it, Right, yeah. but it, it's not gonna move like you're talking about a human sized pocket of wind that's not going to move a room full air a 100 by 30 foot cubic area 100 by 30 by 30 cubic area of heavy gas so the way how the spell is worded is you create a mobile cylinder of wind encompassing every target of the spell and protect them as wind wall but not interfering with them in any way so it is two feet thick and of considerable Tom. strength. So, like... <laughs> I, considerable just, strength, Alex. Think about I, it. I mean, Tom. like, two, two Tom, feet. Are you are you telling me that I could cast Fickle Winds and then fly up into outer space and breathe? Uh, Sounds like it. Yeah. No. The answer is no. But outer space isn't a gas, though. Even if it... it like There's it, no breathable air in outer space, and there's no breathable air in this pit. The gas is stopping the air from getting in, but that doesn't interact with fickle winds. Uh, well, it does say that it works like Windwall. Windwall specifically says is a roaring blast sufficient to blow away any bird smaller than an eagle or tear papers and similar materials from unsuspecting hands. Yeah, so, so it's, it is strong rounds. enough that like it would move this gas around. The amount of gas that we're talking about is it's too much. It's not. Yeah, it's really well, not. It you would, ventilate okay. like a house it would or move. It would move this gas around, but because this gas is heavier than the air in the room, it's going to be replaced with more of this unbreathable gas, not the oxygen above it. If it is heavier than the air, so it sinks, then yeah, you're just it basically is. creating a vortex of the gas in the pit. I don't understand why this is being made into such a thing when you literally have a bottle of infinite air. I kind of uh, like it. I mean, like, I, I I, understand. It's just more along the lines of down the line. I Like, if it pops up as like, oh, you can't do this during cloud kill, like, uh, I would just like to know that. So I, Okay, right. I already said that it works versus cloud kill. But if the area that you're using it in doesn't have breathable air, Fickle Winds does not supply breathable air. It would move this heavy gas out of your way, yes. But you're talking about a 30-foot deep pit that's 100 feet long and 30 feet wide. It's just going to get replaced with more unbreathable gas that the breathable air will not be able to penetrate. Okay. 
I disagree, but I'm gonna just allow, uh, uh, like, just for the sake of time. I'll He'll allow it. it Thank you. Thank you for allowing it, Tom. Uh, well, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, so yeah. Once Tiamat so realizes he can't breathe down there, he's gonna float back up and just kind of yell to the group. Uh, so minor hiccup. There's uh, no way to breathe down here. Like, whatever's down here is not oxygen. Uh, you guys wouldn't have any way to, to deal with that, would you? Because that's going to make this take so much longer. Have you tried holding your breath? <laughs> I mean, I could, but it's going to take forever at this rate. Forever for what? I thought you were just grabbing the armor so we could destroy it. Well, yeah, this, this, this pit's a bit deeper than you might think. Did I not mention the copious amounts of gems down huh? there? Uh, so, Tia Bluth, you, you you dip down, realize you can't breathe, and you, you go back up. But not before taking note that there are... It's it's hard to assess just how many, but just like you can just see the glittering of gems and jewelry uh, scattered within these bones. And well, that's probably why they can't breathe. There's too many gems down there. Collecting the gems and jewelry just from surveying this pit... Uh, would be at least an hour of work. You can also tell that there is a lot. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. On top of their armor, there's uh, there's there's jewels down here. Uh, I just like to cast detect magic and like give that a sweep of the pit too, just to see if there's anything else down there other than sure, Emeritus's yeah. magical body. Is mm-hmm. that gas magical gas? It is not uh, lighting up with detect magic and besides uh, Emeritus's magical gear Teobleth is not detecting any magical auras. I don't have anything for like like air breathing or an equivalent um, I don't know if that bottle of air is uh, like uh, you know one bottle for one person type thing It is a bottle of infinite air that can be shared among however many people want to pass it around yeah. As long as you hold your breath in between uses, yeah, it is it's like an unlimited like oxygen tank. Well, I guess we use that then. I, I Uhtred wasn't the one that had it. I think it was just thrown into the uh the, the group loot. <laughs> the bag of holding. <laughs> yeah. Who who has the bag of holding? Is it back to Thelias? Was it Thelias, Randolph, he's, now Thelias? Yeah, he's the strong boy, so Yeah. I think that was the same reasoning originally why he had it. Right. And uh, by this time, uh, Elksy has been, like, just slowly making her way over to you guys. uh, Just kind of, like, gingerly assessing this bridge, making sure she doesn't fall off the edge. Elksy, take a step to the right. She ignores Teobleth. She reaches Uhtred. She says, Uhtred, did did I hear you correctly? Is, Is Kishikish really gone? Yes. Fortunately, Emeritus was able to strike him down before we could stop him. If only I could see during any of this, and maybe I could have helped enough to take him out before that happened. I'm sorry, Uhtred. I've been just nothing but a but dead weight. I just wanted to help, but I'm holding everybody back. You are not the one holding us back. I mean, you were blind, you couldn't even see. The rest of us could, and we still couldn't stop it. Yeah, I, I know, but if if I wasn't so slow during that that scuffle with that 
that shining thing. Maybe I could have closed my eyes in time to not get struck blind in the first place, and then we wouldn't be in this situation. Speaking from experience, maybes are a luxury that, unfortunately, we don't have time for right now. Keisha is not going to be the last of us to fall on this journey. I'll try to keep that in mind. She, uh, she just kind of takes a seat uh, right there on the bridge. So who is going through this pit with a bottle of air, or is this a team effort? Uh, Tiablith uh, definitely is. <laughs> he, uh, I would prefer not to. Yeah, Tiablith both doesn't care and would probably find it fun. Well, he, he does not care that Kishikish is dead. So at the very least, he's not concerning himself with that aspect. But at the same time, he'll give the others space to grieve if they need it. Okay. <clears throat> Since there's no like immediate threat, danger in the room, it seems. Um, in order to make it go a little bit quicker, like after our genus kind of uh, pats both uh, Elksy and, uh, and Uhtred on the shoulders, he'll head down there to help speed up the process a little bit more. Then let me just quickly go through uh, all the loot in this room. All right, so you got the the whites, the white oracles. Uh, there's four of them, so in total you've got four plus one light maces, four potions of levitate. Oh, okay. Eight vials of unholy water. Don't drink them. Uh, four plus one close of resistance. Uh, four magical masks. I guess I'll just give it to you guys. Uh, these are stalker's masks. When worn, the mask uh, desaturates the wearer's color, making him appear shadowy and granting a plus five competence bonus on stealth checks. Uh, this is a head slot item. Once per day, as a full round action, the wearer can cause the mask's features to take on the appearance of any creature of the wearer's basic size and shape within 60 feet that he observes, allowing the wearer to adopt that creature's appearance for one hour. This grants him a plus 10 bonus on disguise checks made to appear as the creature. The mask also grants the wearer a plus 1 bonus on attack rolls and weapon damage rolls made against the creature he is disguised as, as the mask builds upon the wearer's rage and jealousy of the target's appearance. Uh, in addition to that, they each have, uh, there, so there are four silver unholy symbols of Ergothoa, the goddess of gluttony and undeath. On Emeritus, you find a plus one shocking burst Falcata. Oh. That was what he hit me with for a million bazillion damage. Yep. All, all the electricity damage he was uh, doling out was that plus his uh, Grave Knight thing where he was dealing an extra 4d6 electricity with each hit. Um, oh yeah, did he did he drop that? No, he did not <laughs> drop his innate connection to electricity. Dang. Uh, you also find a plus one mithril chainmail suit of armor. Which we have to disintegrate. Which you, if I mean if you want to. Chainmail suit of armor? Like a chain yeah. shirt or a suit? Oh, chain. Chainmail, like full body chain shirt, basically. There's also three masterwork javelins, a belt of plus four strength, a headband of plus two intelligence and charisma, and the intelligence grants max ranks in acrobatics, an amulet of natural armor plus two, a bracelet of friends, and I will explain what that does. It sounds like such a silly item for him to have, but that's just because of the way it's named. 
This silver charm bracelet has four charms upon it when created. This one doesn't, though. It's only, it only has one charm. The owner may designate one person known to him to be keyed to each charm. This designation takes a standard action, but once done, it lasts forever or until changed. When a charm is grasped and the name of the keyed individual is spoken, this is what he was doing when you guys first entered the room, that person is called to the spot, a standard action, appearing at the user's location along with his gear, as long as the bracelet's owner and the called person are on the same plane. So if you guys hadn't killed those three grave knights, oh uh, yeah, he would have called them and they would have just, standard action, just, now you have to fight four grave knights. At, yeah, at that, worst. that would have ended well for us, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I, I will say too, like based on how we went through Gallowspire, like it was only really possible to avoid one of them. Yeah, Tycho was the only one that wasn't like in a direct path. Although you could have gone farther down the crater and entered on the second map. Right, we could have like started with the Dragon Pit. <laughs> right, that would have bypassed Gallus the Serene who is in that, like, spiral pit. Yep. So the only one that, like, automatically finds you is uh, Gustari Fallenstag. But you could have also failed to disintegrate her armor, and it could have regenerated by the time you mm. fought Emeritus. That's true. Oh, she true. probably wouldn't have had any of her gear, but she would have been there. Uh, so once a charm is activated, it disappears. Charms separated from the bracelet are worthless. A bracelet found with fewer than four charms is worth 25% less for each missing charm. So, he tried to call and failed to call, uh, but it was still used up anyway. Three Grave Knights, that leaves one charm left on this bracelet. Why didn't he try calling the last one? You don't know. A Cloak of Resistance plus two. He has a Spellbook. He has a Platinum Torque emblazoned with the Baron Moor Crest that is worth 450 gold. He also has a Scroll of Teleport. And he has some Magical Boots. And I'll tell you what those are, too. I like boots. These are boots of escape. Ooh. These sturdy leather soled cloth boots have straps at the ankles and calves to ensure a snug fit. Ooh. Once per day, when the wearer of the boots is grappled, pinned, or entangled, they may transfer themselves to any spot within 30 feet as if using a dimension door spell. A gnome wearing these boots may instead transport themselves up to 400 feet away. Uh, Why is that? Uchu will be rolling on those. (laughs) (laughs) That is because... Also, take form of gnome. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a gnome skeleton. That is because uh, these are actually... uh, Like, gnomes are, like, the ones who created... Like, they, like, came up with this boot design. It's like hammers and dwarves. Kind of. (laughs) Yeah, they have proficiency with boots. Yeah, no, they're normally just available to gnomes, at least, like, for crafting purposes. I'm picturing these things like Air Jordans, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Some real sick gnome boots. Right. Uh, And then, so that's the last of the magical gear. And then rolled up inside a scroll tube on Emeritus' belt, Tiablith finds a document, apparently issued and signed by Geb himself, or perhaps signed on behalf of him, being a ghost and all. It seems to be a sort of letter of Mark, charging Emeritus and his fellow Grave Knights with the task of searching for and securing their Queen Arasne, should she find herself outside the protection of their nation's borders, as well as empower them to perform just about any action in the name of securing that goal. 
In essence, this appears to be a somewhat legal document that Emeritus would be able to lean on should his search for Erasne bring him before other governing officials or foreign militaries where brute force would be unwise and would actually grant him a modicum of authority and diplomatic immunity as an official envoy of Geb himself. Who knows what deplorable acts have been excused thanks to this letter and the fear of political backlash. Rolled up within this letter of Mark are several maps spanning a fairly large area covering all of Laswal and Ustalav as well as several neighboring nations. Emeritus seems to have documented his search for Erasne fairly thoroughly, so between notes, dates, and other markings, you can get a rough idea of the Grave Knight's last month or so of traveling. You can see that their initial area of interest was Roslar's coffer, due to, quote, strange energies gleaned through divinations. Based on the dates, you can see that they misty, uh, well... Uh, Uhtred and Thalias would be able to piece this together specifically, but based on the dates, you can see that they missed you by only a day or two. They seemed to find some sort of confirmation that Arasni had been there, but ultimately missed her. You can, you can see they spend several days searching the ruins of the town and the surrounding areas, including the Bastion of Light Temple. Though it's unclear what exactly they did or found, you then follow the dates and markings and see that they then arrived at Vigil, following the same strange energies they found lingering in the ruins of Roslar's Coffer, again missing your departure by only a day or so. They only seem to remain in the ruins of Vigil for about a day, noting no obvious signs of Erasne, and then travel straight to Gallowspire, again noting the strange energies, no doubt observing the after-effects of the Radiant Fire, even if they don't understand exactly what it is. Based on their departure date from Vigil and arrival date in Adarak, it appears they used magic to fly directly there in almost a perfectly straight line. This time, you can see that they beat you here by about a week. While it's unclear from the limited information and notes if the Grave Knights had any additional priorities or agendas beyond finding Arasni, it's fairly straightforward that their primary focus and goal was just that. Arasni's methods of hiding herself inside Nadari's Bastion clearly did the trick in throwing them off her trail, as after almost catching her in Roslar's coffer, they seem to have simply been using attacks with the Radiant Fire as their only new leads, and once chasing once chasing them back to Gallowspire, perhaps doubled down on Arasni's association with Tarbafan as reason to remain here in order to find something, anything, that they could use to grant them a new heading. Sometimes it's the simplest explanation. Something like they had no other leads to go on, so they just figured, like, she's got to be here somewhere. We'll just keep goddamn looking. Like, hey, Arasni and that energy were together this one time. Yeah, and she hates this guy, so there's got to be something here. Uh, speaking of something here, in the southwest corner of this room, strewn across several tables and spilling onto the floor, are hundreds of sheets of paper, rolls of parchment, and various journals open to arbitrary dates. It appears that Emeritus gathered any documents, maps, and any other literature that looked important he could find within Gallowspire and brought it all here in a means to perhaps glean a clue as to Arasni's whereabouts, or at least her role in all of this. Fucking while, jackpot. <laughs> while, <laughs> while not nearly as robust a collection of knowledge found within the Bastion of Lights library, the information here represents probably a week or more of scrounging by Emeritus. Information not given the courtesy of being properly documented or filed after Emeritus determined it didn't contain any information he needed. However, 
If you wish to hunt for any useful information in the same way you did at the Bastion of Light Library, uh, we'll need a primary researcher to give me either a Knowledge Arcana or Knowledge Religion check after taking eight hours to spool through the various documents, and up to two allies can assist, and uh, I don't know if you remember exactly how that worked, but basically on a successful check, you like basically make a damage roll against the library's knowledge points, Yep. yep and yep. as you chip those away, you'll pass certain thresholds, and I will divulge some juicy information. All right, Matt, yeah, so are we going to make this mini-library our bitch? <laughs> if I recall, uh, Uhtred one-shotted the Bastion of Light library. Yeah. Yep. So you got some you got some big shoes to fill. Uh, before we get into this, uh, what's what's everybody else doing? Teoblith is searching uh, through this pit yep. for these gems. Uh, Uhtred, uh, I, I imagine, has just kind of made his way over to this uh, like library, uh, for lack of a better term. Rest and in peace, kinda Kishikish. Like, Ooh, a library. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's like a boo in the Cave of Wonders right now. <laughs> I'm chilling and, with Elksy, trying to stay out of trouble and wondering when we're going to be able to sleep yep, and yep. heal up. Soon. And then there's this hallway to the west that uh, distance and darkness are preventing you from seeing. Uh, yeah, yeah that's fine. Down. I don't think any of us are going to want to do anything other than get out of here and rest. So, uh, I guess the question is, are you guys taking an eight-hour stab at this library now, or are you going to rest first and then come back tomorrow? I think I'm down Uhtred to cloud now. Want... No, I think Uhtred would probably <laughs> want to do it. Well, here's the thing. I think we would Uhtred's first thing would be seeing what we had about being able to heal ourselves. Like, I don't know if we're going to have enough healing to stay in Gallowspire. I seem to like I I remember being like you're tapped like yeah you went through literally every healing thing that you had before going into this fight. Um, I will say I Teoblith still has about eleven cure light wounds he can do, and like one dimension door. (laughs) Yeah, here's the thing though, ten have cure light wounds. Yeah, that's kind of my point. It's like (laughs) effectively nothing. Yeah, 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 okay. So I, I think we'll do... Uh, Uhtred's in favor of doing the library tomorrow because we're going to have to come out of Gallows Spire to heal up. And if the library is an eight-hour block, I'd rather just heal first. And just to reiterate, it's eight hours before you're able to make that damage roll. So depending on that roll and any successive rolls, you could be looking at several days' worth of researching. Before. Uh, didn't we already discuss this and he's going to one-shot it? I think that was I mean, what the plan. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, Nick can just go ahead and one-shot it. And even yeah. even if it was no a day of research, <laughs> all Uhtred wants to do is get out of here and heal, to be honest. Sure. <laughs> Alright, so it sounds like everybody's on the same page of let's Dimension Door back up to our house in well, the middle of Adarak. Teoblith ain't going anywhere till he... Uh, dredges all the bone all the jewels out of this pit so you're gonna make everybody wait two hours while you do that unless they want to help i've been helping i know I'm oh, that's true on it. all right so with teoblith and arginus going through this it'll 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 still be one hour of dredging through the bones but uh instead of two hours 
but there's otherwise no, uh, nothing stopping you from just doing it. Just the time investment. So after you get, uh, after you spend, uh, two man hours searching through the bones and tattered clothing at the bottom of this pit, uh, you have found gems and jewelry worth 17,000 gold. Holy shit. Hoo-hoo, buddy. I can't wait to spend gold. Does anyone still take <laughs> yeah, it in this Poco Pocket? Is anyone else like, terrified <laughs> that we're going to get out of Gallowspire and just every somewhat decently sized civilization has been nuked already? And it's just like, <laughs> oh, you thought you were going to get to shop? No. There's no shopping. See, I don't think so, because, like... Once, he's, your, once your world has been torn <laughs> to ashes, then you have my permission to shop. <laughs> <laughs> like, Tarbefon, he's, he's, you know, he broke himself free and he already destroyed Last Wall, which is ostensibly the biggest threat to his existence. So, at this point, I would have to imagine he's just gathering forces and getting ready to, like, hold the world hostage. Like, he's already demonstrated what he can do. So now it's just a matter of, like, yeah, it would be give, petty give me what I want. Stuff. Give me what he's, I want, or I will blow you up anyway. He's going to call, like, like put, like, the various leaders of the Inner Sea on, like, video call, like, fucking Dr. <laughs> Evil, and be like, attention, rulers of the Inner Sea. Unless you give me one million gold pieces, I will destroy one city every hour. Goodbye. <laughs> that'd be amazing so yeah we got a whole bunch of money that's that's awesome um so yeah i guess after that i uh, will gather everyone together and i will get us out of here using dimension door since now i can take everyone with me since kisha kisha's dead <laughs> oh, oh that's man. right Too every time we lose dude. an ally <laughs> it's coming up tiabla <laughs> just making me more efficient alright so I, I imagine uh, while Tiablith probably wouldn't care one way or the other someone else would make sure that Kishikish's body is uh, taken with you or am I wrong yeah I'll take it alright so you guys Dimension Door back to I assume the same spot that you've been using to rest if it ain't broke, I guess so fix it all right. It feels like it's been a while since we've even been here. Yeah. It has been. <laughs> it's been like two months real time, probably. Yeah. Like I was four saying, days in game time. I was saying, what, how many fights have we gone through since we rested last? We did the Tarbaphon Simulacrum. We did the well, Burning Child. Before that, you, uh, oh, you went down here and you had the Dead Randolph, Randolph fight. Yep. Yep. Then Tarbaphon, Shining Child. Inevitable. Uh, inevitable. The mirror bones. bones thingies, and then Emeritus and, and his buddies. Yeah. It's oh, six yeah. fights, and I would say over half of them were pretty significant fights too. Yeah, yeah. I was say like the the Shining Child and the Bloody Bones were the only ones that were kind of like yeah. throwaway fights as far as difficulty. Yeah, the Randolph Ghost wasn't super hard, but it was still well when you I had think two a guys larger, panicked. Yeah, it was a larger expenditure on resources, I think, than like it would have otherwise been necessary. So yeah, I call you, that a win as a GM. You have <laughs> no idea how much I need to get my spells back to be any sort of help. Oh yeah. All right, so you guys return to the surface. 
real quick, what did we do with his uh, chain suit of armor? Oh, we took that with us. Yeah. Okay. Just so that our genus can traumatize himself first thing in the morning. Perfect. (sighs) We doing anything before resting? Um, I mean, Uh, I'll burn the rest of my spells to heal up. Yep. Does our genus have enough spell slots for his house spell? Yeah, oddly enough, I don't have a lot of uh, fourth level attack spells, so where is it? Yeah, whatever it is, I think I'm actually pretty secure in. All right. So what are we looking at for heals and uh, Thalias, if he has any lay on hands left? I have Uh, one lay on hands. (laughs) So how is everyone looking for health? 35 non-lethal damage, 65 HP at a 91. So I'm 30 30 away from being unconscious. Okay. And you're like, and uh, Thalias, you're like pretty jacked up. I got 28 HP. Yeah, I have eight Cure Light Wounds available. So I think I will do... um, I'll do five on Thalias and three on Uhtred. All right, so five Cure Light Wounds on Thalias. That heals him for 43. Ooh. And then three on Uhtred for 27. And I'll get rid of most of your non-lethal as well. All right, so let's talk about watches. It's been a minute. Yeah, uh, I'll take first and third because I only need two hours of sleep. I will take last watch in order to get rid of that. Uh, um, to get rid of that armor sooner. Oh, Traumatize perfect. yourself while we're, while everyone's sleeping. Yeah. He's got no <laughs> trip setter. <laughs> God knows Tiablet's not doing that. Yeah. Although he I'll might, just for the purposes of getting the first-hand accountability. Oh, if, if I could disintegrate, I absolutely would. No, I'm saying, like, when Arginus f- loses his shit after he does disintegrate, Teoblith might actually act as his trip sitter just for the purposes of getting the info that Arginus gleans. Oh, absolutely. That's why I'm taking first and third watch, so I can be there when that happens. <laughs> I'll take a second with Elksy. Elksy the blind? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's more of a moral support. All right. I mean, I, I understand it. You're the, you're the one restoring her be... vision. If you ask her to stay up with you, she will. <laughs> yeah. We've got to catch up anyway. And I guess she'll take the first one then. All right. So that's two, two, and two. Uh, first watch, Uhtred and Teoblith. Give me perception checks. That's a 33. Uh, I'm sorry, you asked for a perception check? Yeah, actually, I think before, uh, Elias, like, settled in, Uchard would ask him to borrow his shovel. Yeah, I mean, if you think you can handle it. I uh, show you how no. it works and make sure that, uh... <laughs> you, I mean, you, you are the it. master grave digger, and I was gonna dig Keisha Keisha grave so we could bury him. That's nice of you. So, You're going to take um, that honor away from Thalias? Hey, I'm, I'm all about uh, spreading the, the good word of shoveling. <laughs> the, the if someone wants to get interested. <laughs> all right. So Thalias gives Uhtred the shovel after showing him which end is the business end. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't know if you want me to roll perception, take a penalty, but like Uhtred's going to be focusing on getting that grave ready. Yeah. 
so g- give me perception, and uh, I'll take a minus four penalty. Ooh, natural one. I was really just lost in yeah. the fields, hearing that sound of the shovel, just that perfect rhythm, one after another. Yeah. Well, all right. This is your first time. I don't know if the rhythm was perfect, but <laughs> make a rhythm check. Natural one minus four. That's looking like a nine. So yeah, most definitely Uhtred is just very distracted by his task and uh, you know just all the thoughts and emotions that come with it. Uh, Teoblith with a thirty-three, you're able to uh, do a perfectly acceptable job doing watch. When you guys first came up, back up to the surface, although you were inside of this, uh, probably former barracks, while you're not directly exposed to it, the first thing you would have noticed is that it is uh, currently raining in Adarak. And as the night goes on, uh, the rain worsens. The stars are crying. (laughs) Yeah. They know a great loss has been suffered. And, uh... Uhtred, by the end of your shift, actually, hold on. I want to make a, a grave marker, too. All right, yeah, so the shovel can be used to cast Expeditious Excavation, which just immediately creates a five-foot cube of uh, of a hole, but it is not on the Magus spell list, so you'd have to use, like, use Magic Device to do that. Nope, nope, nope. This would be good old-fashioned bicep magic. That muscle magic. (laughs) Even if he could do it, the point is to dig it himself. Sure, absolutely. Um, So yeah, by the end of your shift, you have a a suitable grave dug for Kishikish. And uh, what are you using as a grave marker? The shovel. His staff. (laughs) (laughs) It's got to be a staff, right? Yeah, that's not a bad idea. That That was the one thing that I forgot to mention as... Technically, loot back there. Kishikish, Kishikish's staff is a plus two cold iron staff, uh, and you know fr- it's got that like lan- that, that like lantern head swinging from a chain on the top. So cool that you know that that is where that bloody bones would be stored in that lantern from when Kishikish uh, did that soul siphon. How long uh, do they stay in the staff indefinitely till they're released? It's yeah, it's indefinite. Like, okay, you're, I like you're using... sure that there's some, you know, some uh, like external interference could happen to release the soul. But if just left to its own devices, that bloody bones is effectively uh, trapped forever. Sweet, it's like a little grave watcher for him. Mm. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you've top that. top priority is the sanctity of that grave. <laughs> Well, I'm just saying, if someone was like, oh, look at that sweet staff over there, I'm going to go take it, grab mm-hmm. it, and the bloody bones jumps out. Well, I do lo- I do love the irony of burying a psychopomp in Gallowspire. Yeah. yeah. There's definitely some I, irony I actually going like on it because it feels defiant, right? Yeah. I I don't disagree. Yeah, I could see it. Was that really Kishikish, though, defiant? I mean, he's well, always he, he defying that- everyone in his house. <laughs> you! <laughs> Another one. Come to me. (laughs) He was anti-defiant. Everyone's defying his. uh, He was getting defied. His imminent domain. Yeah. Yeah. To be honest with you, Uhtred's not even totally sure if like burying is the right customary thing for what Kishikish was as a psychopomp. 
So it's just kind of like with lack of anything better, it was just like it's a ritual either way. So right. well, I'll I'll I'll, gi- I'll give you this. Uh, there is absolutely no standard custom for putting to arrest a psychopomp. Uh, but you know that, like per like there could be some you know clustered communities that might have their own rituals you know throughout the the boneyard and the great beyond but as as a blanket uh concept no but the one thing that uh all psychopomps hold sacred is the cycle of life and death and that includes like the feeding of the river of souls uh which involves uh when a soul leaves a body it you know starts its journey through the great beyond and that journey even in such a t- like a tiny way still contributes to the stabilization and maintenance of the great beyond including the material plane and Do psychopomps go to the boneyard when they die uh outsiders don't so kishikish's soul is his body his body right, is right. his soul and his body's not going anywhere so neither is his soul but you know that upon being buried he will his body will eventually break down and become nourishment within the soil and that will further the cycle of life and death on the the the, the micro of it all on the material plane like the great beyond river of souls is basically like a macro version of the cycle of life that you all know as mortals so you would you you would think that even if Kishikish may have had other plans upon his own death, knowing that you don't know what that is, and seeing if he were to know what you're doing, you know that he would at the very least uh, approve. Alright. I'm not going to like actually bury Kishikish during the watch. I'll wait until like everyone's up. Oh, okay. So you're just digging the hole for now. Yeah, I mean... I'm sure it's Elias, like, wants to say goodbye. Yeah. All uh, graves are subject to a review. You know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so. If only you reviewed the grave I dug for you. God, right? Yeah, that thing was a masterpiece. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Uchu would just, during his shift, get it, like, ready. But he, would, he wouldn't take that, that chance from anyone else. Okay. <clears throat> Then with that, uh, we can move on to second shift, which is uh, Thalias and Elksy. I check out the grave and uh, put some finishing touches on it, you know, make sure it's it's as good as it can be. And I'm yep. uh, pretty proud of Uhtred's work, actually. Tighten that <laughs> bolt there, straighten that cog there. <laughs> yeah, except with, you know, ground. Right, right. Elksy goes, ah, I'm blind! <laughs> I reassure her that her blindness will end soon. Okay, I I, I trust you, Thalias. So, uh, Elksy and Thalias can give me perception checks. Alright. Oh, come on. <laughs> I was just thinking in my head, I gotta roll a good perception because she's blind. I rolled a 1 for a 12. Alright. Um, I'm busy working on this grave, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and Uhtred, we're into it. So, you know, like, 
a lot a lot of the perception checks for these watches have been exclusively perception or uh, have exclusively been hearing based anyway. Oh, that's good. Uh, but I am going to give Elksy a penalty for her perception check. You should give her a bonus, like uh, that guy from the comics. Daredevil? Yeah. Maybe she's just not used to it yet. Doesn't get the bonus. Yeah. Plus, you got the extra uh, BS of the rain that's just dampening her. True. Her her echolocation. Uh, Nothing like digging a grave in the rain, I always say. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, with that in mind, she's still got a 27 on her perception oh. check. Okay. Blows mine out of the water. <laughs> Blind elk showing me how it's done. <laughs> the RP to be had. Um, no, just catching up with Elksy generally and uh, digging the grave. Thalias. Yeah. Um, I have to ask. I, I, I know you kind of went over this yesterday morning when we're, we you first came back to us, but do you do you remember anything from... When you were with Randolph? Well, to be honest with you, it uh, kind of comes and goes. I I don't remember much, but then all of a sudden I'll, I'll feel guided or, or, or feel spoken to, you know, about something. Do you remember me from when you were with Randolph? I know you, and uh, I don't know where or why, but every once in a while I, I know you more. You're more familiar. It's like uh, an old best friend, or you know, someone you haven't seen in a long time. But you you know, there's something that you've left behind that are rediscovering. Yeah, um, I I went through something not that unlike what you're going through now, actually. Uh, yeah. And I mean, to be honest, I, I I I'm still kind of sifting through. Uh, a few things. I don't really know like what my place is in the world, and well, y- you and I we used to we used to be uh, very close, but you you fell in battle, and that that kind of broke my connection with with, with my uh, with my thoughts, with my intelligence. But then Arasni, uh, she she reawoken. She 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 reawoke me. And I could I could think again, but I don't know. I, I was kind of left with this doubt about the validity of of our friendship, if it was real or if it was just a construct of of your well. Your God. I'll tell you, I feel it too. And uh, boy, knowing what I'm here and doing, uh, <laughs> I'm right there with you. I am. Uh, well, I look like I've got it together, but. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. Who knows what I'm doing here or why, and this whole thing's a mess, and, you know, really, I'm just happy to have you here with me, and, well, life's a bit of a struggle, and we gotta get through it together. Yeah. Goliath sort of flashes back to his, uh, we're all a team, you know, he sort of picks back up where he left off on, we're a team, and we gotta get through this. Yeah, yeah. Not something that is, that's like another thing that's innate with him but he doesn't really understand right He's like she elksy nods her head yes i i agree thalias um but i i feel like I, I you're you're free to you know make your own 
journey, so to speak, and arrive at your own conclusions, but I, I feel like I owe you an apology. I, I found myself kind of resenting you, uh, for a little while when you were, uh, when you were with Randolph. Hey, totally understandable. I mean, look at me, <laughs> you know, like I pantomime well, down my body, like you know, it's not even Thelias's body, right? right. Like, what a fucking roller coaster this all has been. <laughs> it's like you're, if whatever you think or, or felt is completely forgiven on account of Jesus Christ. I mean, yeah, what we've been through just she, to be alive is a miracle. Yeah, she kind of squirms a little bit, like she says, "Yeah, no, I, I, I know, I." I'm sorry. I'm just trying to think of the right words because it's so it's it's so difficult. But I I know that this is important, and I I feel like I need to say it. Uh, you and I have we we've both kind of gone through our own rebirths uh, in in this journey, and I I still don't know if our original partnership was genuine or not. But I I think I've come to realize that. It doesn't really matter at this point. It's literally a lifetime ago for each of us. And I think what's important is that we care about each other now and that we just go with that. Oh, bring it in. I I agree with you. She just it's, uh, it's a leans. wild world out there. Yeah, she just kind of leans towards you so you can do the embracing. I really appreciate you saying all that, Elksy. Well, I'm... I'm I'm glad. I I'm not, I'm not proud of some of the thoughts that I was having, but I just want to put that behind us now. Yeah, I'm not proud of a lot of things and hell, I can't even remember a lot of them and the things that I do remember, I don't even know if it's true. So, consider this a heartfelt blanket apology for everything. I'm sure in my past, in my past with an S, I'm sure I wasn't the best person. Well, tomorrow's a new day. And hopefully cure that blindness. Yeah, you fucking better. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever happens, uh, we're we're in this together, and that's that. I love Elksy. She's the best. Yeah, I like it too. <laughs> so your uh, your night progresses, and the the rain uh, has maintained a steady downpour. About halfway through your shift, you start hearing, like, just drip, drip, drips as uh, water starts to leak through the uh, the un, uh, the unstable ceiling. It's got plants growing through it. It just starts kind of dripping uh, onto the ceiling of uh, Arginus's secure... Shoddy craftsmanship. Our genus is what is it? The secure shelter is that the spell? Yeah. Our genus is secure. Uh, secure shelter spell is uh, perfectly serviceable. Uh, it's supposed to have uh, a fireplace. You know that, right? It has a fireplace. Yeah. I was promised a fireplace and hot cocoa. There's uh, a hole in the fucking roof. Definitely. No, it was, no, it was tea. I uh, Jarvis. <laughs> Jarvis was supposed to have tea. There's no tea. <laughs> there is always the, tea. The the hole I was referring to was in the like the structure like the larger structure that the oh, secure okay, shelter gotcha. is then inside. Gotcha. Of. Okay. So you just hear like the it's it's now like 
not as hard as outside, but is now effectively raining onto the secure shelter. Yep. Uh, yeah, so then uh, Elksy and Thalias' shifts end, and we're back to our genus Antiobleth. Ugh. This should be good. Oh, wow. Our genus wakes up, and Teobleth's already kind of <laughs> standing there with a, a, pe- a, a notepad and a pen ready, like, <laughs> well, whenever you're ready. <laughs> uh, um, anything uh, noteworthy before uh, I go forward with this? Um, I don't know. No, I mean, I- I'm talking to uh, uh, Thelias talk- and uh, Elksy. Thelias and Elksy, yeah. Thelias got his arm around Elksy and they're going inside and just they just sort of shrug you off like <laughs> we're doing other things. Oh. <laughs> you get the impression that, you know, we had a nice, you know, moments and uh They can't be don't... bothered with you. Yeah, yeah we can't be asked to like... <laughs> like zero support for the traumatizing experience I'm about to have. How about just an yeah. update on anything happened? Or yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, El- there... Elksy, Elksy would like over, you know, over her shoulder. Like she's like letting T- uh, she's letting Thalias like just kind of guide her back Usher inside. Her. But yeah. yeah, she would like turn her head and be like, "Everything's clear so far. It's just been raining a lot." Oh, okay. Yeah, seeing Tiablith, uh getting ready to go. <sighs> uh. Uh, I apologize, uh, Tiablith, uh, but uh, uh, if you don't mind this uh, waiting uh, one more minute, uh, in the uh, uh, kind of in the past, I haven't really had a uh, moment to uh, compose myself or even, I don't know, say something or think about these things. Well... He's not going back anytime soon. Just let me know when you're ready. Oh, I, <laughs> I uh, certainly appreciate the patience there. Always, uh, I know that there's a good man inside of you. Um, and Arjun, <laughs> before before he could even respond to that, uh, Arjun is just like, I know, uh, I know whatever I'm about to uh, <laughs> uh, about to see is. Uh, it's going to be uh, painful, and I know you did not mean to do what you've done. <sighs> and kind of just puts his uh, hand onto, like, kind of the heart of, or, like, the former heart of this uh, Grave Knight. Uh, uh, I apologize for everything that you've done and gone against your own wishes, uh, but understand that... The thing that I'm about to do is, uh, it should put you to rest finally. And Arginus uh, calls over Tiablith. All right, if you're ready to uh, to take your notes. Oh, I very much am. All right, and make sure you're very detailed. Ah, uh, this is for posterity. Well, <laughs> now that we have a little bit more time here, uh, I can uh, be a little this bit more be for thorough. my dissertation. i need to graduate um and arginus cast dispel uh magic first all right give me a caster level check caster level check oh natural 20 with a 35 goodness gracious that dispels all right 24 rounds it is a non-magical suit of chainmail 
And uh, our genus cast Disintegrate. All right. And our genus has a scene play before him. The scene begins with a thunderous bang of two enormous doors as they're slammed open. The sound echoes over the large chamber's marble floor and granite walls as we take in the luxuriously appointed room, complete with a roaring mantle. This place looks familiar, and we recognize the personal chamber of Geb as he was brought in coded messages stolen from Taika Guzmar. The echoes of a dozen sets of footsteps march into the room, and we see a tall, handsome young man flanked by a squad of heavily armed and armored skeletal soldiers and led by a pale-skinned dwarf. In the young man, we recognize the blonde hair and neat, short beard of the still-living Emeritus Barrenmore. Emeritus's hands are bound together with a pair of metal cuffs. He looks around this large chamber with an appraising look, as if searching for hidden enemies or hidden escape routes. No fear can be seen behind his eyes, only the steely stoicism of a brave and confident leader. The group comes to a halt, and as the underlying rot of Geb slithers into our senses, we can finally see the translucent form of the Ghost King, who looks down his nose at the knight from Last Wall. You have entered my nation with a false identity under false pretenses. What is your purpose here, Emeritus Baronmore? The first hint of nerves flicker behind Emeritus's eyes as he hears his full name, but they're quickly pushed back as the Magus straightens up and meets Geb's glare with a grit of someone ready to die. You'll get nothing out of me. Nothing. Geb scowls at his prisoner. Perhaps I'll torture your fellow spies until you talk. Emeritus hesitates, but this time the same nerves do not return. That was a one-time falter, now expertly held in check. No, not nerves. Emeritus holds his glare for only a full second, and instead we can almost hear his inner thoughts navigating this negotiation with a purely pragmatic calmness. His allies knew the risks when they entered the nation of Geb, and they pursued, ready to never see their beloved nation again. Relenting for their sake would be a betrayal to their mission and oaths, even if Geb paraded each of his fellow knights out for unspeakable treatments before his eyes. He would not divulge any information, even if he had assurances that the tortures would stop, which, he reminded himself, they would still almost certainly not. But there was a deeper play here, Emeritus realized. Even in his threat, Geb was fishing for information. Did Geb know for sure that Emeritus was here with help? It was possible, but Emeritus was not about to confirm anything for him. The Magus' pause was short, only a full second hesitation, but after analyzing the factors at play, he squares his shoulders and looks down his nose at Geb. I already told you, you'll get nothing out of me. Geb's scowl softens somewhat, and for a moment he glances at the vampiric dwarf beside Emeritus, then he nods his translucent head. I believe you. Emeritus' shoulders rise and fall in one slow breath as he prepares for his death. Otherwise, the Magus continues to show no emotions whatsoever. Release him. Emeritus opens his mouth to speak, but no words come out, his bravado forgotten entirely in the face of nothing. The chamber echoes with the clanging of his metal cuffs clattering to the marble floor as the dwarf unlocks them. He rubs his wrists as he looks up at Geb and can only utter, What? 
are you, what are you doing? You just said I would be unable to force any information from you. I believe you. Why would I waste my time then, torturing you or tormenting you? Then why not just kill me? Meritos' frustration colors his face, bordering on panic. Because, Emeritus, I still want information from you, and I know you want information from me. Neither of us will get our wish if I kill you, so why can't we be civil, earn my trust as I intend to earn yours, and perhaps we can come to a diplomatic agreement. Emeritus simply gawks at the Ghost King. Gap glances again at the dwarf. Yuri informs me you've been staying at the Sable Station Inn. I believe you'll be much more comfortable in your own estate in the Ebony Gardens. We hold on Emeritus' face of stunned confusion, but soon realize we're no longer in Geb's chambers. We're in the busy streets of Mechatar on a sun-drenched afternoon. Wagons of produce are herded around street performers while a vendor calls out wares for sale. A messy, chaotic, if idyllic, city street thriving on its people and commerce, and yet undercut by moans of undeath, and as always, the rot. Emeritus stands apart from it all, the clamor and bustle but white noise as he tries to make sense of his situation. Most prevalently, his cover was officially compromised, so any contact he attempted to make to his fellow spies would almost certainly endanger theirs, if they weren't already found out. For now, perhaps for the remainder of his mission, he would have to continue without knowing if they were even still alive, and they him. Second, the Ghost King's olive branch in no way seemed genuine, and yet he couldn't fathom the reason Geb would spare him when he held all the cards. Did Geb hope that Emeritus might lead him to the other spies? Maybe, but why offer such a grand gesture as a lavish estate to live in? That must be it. The manor Geb offered must be enchanted or bewitched in some way, Living in it for an extended time may corrupt him. Still, it seemed too straightforward. More than anything, Emeritus can't remember the last time he felt so lost. Please, there must be something you can do. I'm begging you. A voice cuts through the white noise of Emeritus' thoughts. He looks up the street, past a skeletal horse-toed wagon of pumpkins, and sees a young woman pounding on the closed door of a sleek black shop. Poor lost souls had become an accustomed sight in Mechatar as people with no options left often found their way to Geb's various cities, seeking hope or luck among the undead, where anyone with any fortunes remaining would never think to go. This woman was just another such hopeless. Emeritus had learned to bite his tongue and look the other way for the sake of his cover, but his cover no longer mattered. His hand touches her ebony shoulder as she feebly leans against the shop door, down on her knees. Her wild black tangle of hair swoops to the side as she looks up at him with tear-filled eyes. Please, I don't, I don't know what else to do. Her name was Lavender, and like so many, she had traveled to Mechatar on the heels of tragedy. Her mother had died of illness, and her father suffered from a debilitating injury and couldn't work for money. They had no savings, and a terrible fire had claimed their home and everything in it. With no dowry for his daughter and no way to provide for her, Lavender's father journeyed to Mechatar to trade his life for her future. By the time she learned what he'd planned to do and arrived in the city herself, 
he had already been zombified, and a moderate sum of gold was left in her name. She told the bank she didn't want the money. She just wanted her father back. But the process was bureaucratically irreversible, and his corpse and its labor was now property of Geb. Emeritus listened to her story and felt a glimmer of sense return to his situation. His mission was still in place. He knew he had to continue gathering information about Geb's nation and military. But at least in this moment, he had no idea how to proceed. Instead, he saw an opportunity to help someone. Someone just as lost as him. Lavender had no desires to return to her home. There was nothing for her there anyway. Instead, she agreed to remain in Mechatar with Emeritus. He knew better than to tell her his true reasons for being in the city, and instead created a false story, not unlike hers and so many others who'd passed through since he'd arrived. He upgraded his room at the Sable Station Inn, but it didn't take long to conclude that it was just not a comfortable living situation for someone not currently partaking in a suicide mission. Constant close proximity to other miserable or despicable people did little to put at ease someone in mourning. With each passing day, Lavender's unhappiness ate at him more and more, until he finally gave in to Geb's offer of a full private estate to live in. He remained cautious, using any and all divinations at his limited disposal to appraise the luxurious manor over the first week of their occupation. But the harder he looked, the more obvious it became that there were no spells present, well, not counting those with the express purpose of enhancing their comfort. Unseen servants existed on each floor and obeyed Emeritus exclusively. Dials could be found in most rooms that could magically alter the illumination within. Each day, a major image spell could be conjured to play a grand orchestral concert or even perform a small-scale play. The manor's grounds included a pristine pond, several miles of cobbled paths beneath the shade of pruned trees, and more flowers than Emeritus had ever seen in rows of gardens and crawling up the eaves. It was truly a spectacular home. It was almost a shock then, when Yuri, the vampiric dwarf, arrived unannounced. At first, Emeritus assumed the worst, that he had indeed fallen for some unseen trick, but after Yuri assessed Emeritus's satisfaction and comfort with the amenities provided by Geb, even asking if anything was to his dissatisfaction, the dwarf left them in peace. That night, his mind raced as he contemplated possible misdirections he'd missed by Yuri's visit. He had, naturally, researched the grounds and manner for anything out of place with his divinations after the dwarf left, but found nothing suspicious. Perhaps he had come to see if Emeritus had been harboring any of his allies? Though, how foolish did Geb think he was if that had been the case? There must be something else he'd missed. In his brooding, Emeritus had missed most of the play he had conjured for Lavender as their evening entertainment. Some tragic comedy imported from Opara about a group of thieves whose string of miraculously successful heists only landed them in ever-growing trouble. The illusory actors huddled around a small table in a tavern, examining the prop jewelry they'd stolen. You gotta be kidding me. I know, I still can't believe we pulled this one off. Now let's go give Tristan his money before he changes his mind. No, I mean, look at the sigil on this ring. And underneath these goblets. And here, on the link on this necklace. No. Yes. Of all the cases in that bunker, we stole the one belonging to... 
Grand Prince Stavian the Third. The play fades as Act One ends, and Delilah laughs. Amerito snaps out of his haze and looks over at her. The first display of happiness she had shown since they'd met, and he was completely unprepared for the wave of relief he felt. Their eyes met, and her laughing redoubled, believing his wide eyes and gaping mouth was his own form of mirth, and they were sharing the moment. Her tangle of hair bounced as she continued giggling on the long couch they shared. Yuri was instantly left to the back of his mind as Emerito scrambled to join her in this moment of levity, to simply be and be happy. Time passed, and Emeritus continued reminding himself of his mission, even as it grew harder to imagine abandoning Lavender or putting her in danger. They ate exquisite meals together, strolled the beautiful grounds, and enjoyed nightly shows of music or other culture. Yuri returned every week or so, checking in on the two of them, but that was the extent of bother they had to deal with. Of course, Emeritus always worried for his allies, wondering if they were safe and how their missions were progressing. But with each passing day, it seemed more and more like worrying about some far-off conflict, and not one he was still directly in the middle of. Instead, he began to fall for Lavender, and imagine a life with her, a proper one, away from all of this. It was when he started seriously considering leaving this nation and his mission behind with Lavender that reality finally caught up with him. Geb's offer of a life of luxury was, indeed, completely upfront, no strings attached. In fact, Geb had already learned nearly everything he'd needed to from Taika's corrupted line of communications, so his claim of wanting to reach a diplomatic conclusion for the sake of mutual confidence was also not really even part of it. In truth, at the time of his interrogation with Emeritus, Geb had already planned out or even begun his orchestration of each of the last wall spies, aiming to corrupt them all into his personal council of elite grave knights. Some would take longer to corrupt than others, and require varying degrees of effort and care. Emeritus, he knew, would be the hardest to crack. His short interaction with the Magus told of the ironclad will and determination possessed by him. Being tortured wouldn't work. Watching his allies be tortured wouldn't work. His mind was too fortified to break from within. Instead, Geb would have to do to Emeritus the one thing he hadn't expected, pamper. And while Emeritus lived his best life, Geb had slowly collected each and every one of his allies, until he even took Taika, having drained every last drop of last wall intelligence the paladin possessed. Emeritus received a summons by Geb one day, unwilling to insult the hospitality of a king who'd given him such comfort, he accepted. Emeritus arrived in Geb's chambers later that day, appearing still quite stoic and unbreakable, if slightly out of practice. When he entered, he instantly saw two of his fellow spies, Seldig Bedlis and Yalis the Serene, flanking Geb as personal guards. Geb was completely upfront with the Magus, that he had, by that point, found two of Emeritus' allies and turned them against him and Lastwall. He offered a diplomatic cease to this manhunt for the rest of them if Emeritus agreed to divulge information about Lastwall and his mission. Even as he wept within his own cloaked heart, though, Emeritus refused, even having the presence of mind to not even answer in a way that would confirm that there were even more spies to find. Emeritus returned to his estate that evening, 
Freshly shook from learning two of his allies had suffered the worst possible fate in this mission. It was a fresh reminder that while he got fat and complacent with Lavender, his comrades suffered without him. He knew he had to return his full attention to his mission. Lavender was happy now. She could remain at the manor in safety and comfort while he worked on a new angle. But the next day got away from him when Lavender discovered a new passion for painting the two of them spent hours on terrible landscapes that they nonetheless felt extremely proud of and hung them prominently in their bedroom. The next day was a rare gloomy day of rainfall, Lavender's favorite weather, and it was impossible to pull himself away from the back patio where the two of them watched the rain wash over the dusty grounds. The day after that was their weekly day ride, where a chauffeur would take them on a long, relaxing ride in a private carriage around the Ebony Gardens. Each new day, Emeritus found another excuse to cling ever harder to this life of ease and luxury, until he was right back where he'd been before learning about Selding and Yalis. He kept telling himself the timing wasn't right, or tomorrow would have to be the day where he really started. But these promises eventually became lies. Sometime later, Emeritus was summoned again to Geb's chambers. He almost ignored this summons, knowing who would be there. But he forced himself to go, telling himself it was for solidarity, to share in his ally's fate. This time, though, there were four Grave Knights waiting with Geb. Now Amar Ilverasto and Gustari joined Seldig and Yalis. This time, Emeritus couldn't keep his composure, and he openly wept in their presence. Geb repeated his offer, and again, Emeritus refused. He returned again to his manor, but this time... He didn't try to convince himself that he would miraculously return to his mission. Now he knew he was incapable, compromised. His only hope was that the remaining spies, Andrew Proyan and Taika Guzmar, had been successful during this time and had perhaps already left Geb's nation and were bringing their intelligence back to Lastwall. He considered doing the same. He had at least lived in the Ebony Gardens long enough at that time to have a loose understanding of the layout of the wealthiest area of Mechatar. Perhaps that would count for something, but every time he considered this, the undead faces of Seldig, Yalis, Amar, and Gustari would swim through his mind, and the guilt would nearly make him sick. And so he remained in Mechatar with Lavender, never being truly happy again, but instead living a life of fear fear that his last allies would be caught, fear that his grandfather could see him now, fear that the mission he led was going to fail in the most extraordinary way possible. As more time passed, the only fleeting moments of respite he found were imagining a Gebite assassin come to kill him, and then maybe he would be at peace. But the assassin never came, and one day, Anvert and Taika did. He answered the front door expecting to see Yuri, only to see his last two allies, now Grave Knights. Their skin was already deteriorating, and their faces held no emotion whatsoever. We come with a message from Geb. Emeritus can only stare in silence and dread. If you wish to join us, kill the girl. Without pausing, Taika reaches out and places a small object in Emeritus's hand. Then, they simply turn and leave. He opens his hand and sees an iron holy symbol of Iamade. That night, Emeritus and Lavender are watching another play in their home, but he wasn't paying attention. Lavender, likewise, seemed uninterested. 
Emeritus looks again at the holy symbol. It was a simple message, but one he had refused to acknowledge until that day. He would never return home, even if that were still possible. He knew that, probably from the moment he saw Seldig and Yalis. But recently, his only remaining consolation of finding peace in death, he realized after everything, he would never be accepted by Ayamadei. Even death would bring him torment. The realization was as obvious as it was devastating, and he could no longer find even the slightest glimmer of happiness or hope left for him. The man he had been when he first arrived wouldn't have been shaken by this quandary. He would have probably gone straight to Geb and tried his best to take the Ghost King out before his own demise, but the thought now left him shaken. He was a coward now. Maybe he always had been, and just didn't know it. His life here was now nothing but self-torture. There was no hope of a life waiting for him back home. And now he realized, even in death, he would suffer. Perhaps most of all. There was but one path left. One cowardly path to a numb existence, where he would no longer know these terrible feelings of guilt and failure. Tozy, can we talk? You've been really distant lately, and I, I just want to make sure you're okay. Are you okay? Emeritus turns to her in silence, and in his wide eyes of shame and desperation, we can see Lavender's wild tangle of hair reflected in the dim lighting of the room. The two enormous doors of Geb's chambers open with a thunderous bang, and a single figure walks in with a hauntingly numb pace. Emeritus shuffles deeper into the room, as if in a trance. As he grows closer, we can see the unmistakable scarlet stain splashed across his face, blending his bloodshot eyes like a curtain across sin. He reaches us, and we see Geb silently floating beside us. We look deeper and deeper into his quivering eyes, until the scene cuts to black. I'm ready. And that brings our genus uh, back to reality. <sighs> While, uh, this one wasn't nearly as volatile as all the rest, and while there's certainly some disdain I have, uh, for this particular, uh, for Aramtos and how he's, uh, how he was worked over, I can empathize in being tricked into something along the same lines but never would i abandon friends and and uh arginus uh like he he realizes that he hasn't like actually gone through the story yet so he's just like let me explain and goes uh down the uh line tila jots it down diligently uh and by the end of it tila's just like <laughs> You can make that claim all you want, but you have no idea how you'll react until you're put in that situation. You're, uh, you're correct on that, and uh, I wouldn't make such claims if I myself did not understand that very same feeling. And then uh, our genius is just going to kind of like sulk the night away, kind of just thinking back on that entire uh thinking about his start and how he got involved with all this mess and then kind of just you know the is listening around to what's happening okay 
Uh, Genus and Teobleth, give me perception checks. 35. Almost as good as 17. Damn. All right. By the time the ambient light has managed to bleed through the sparse openings in the barracks and then through the like the windows slash shutters of Arginus's secure shelter, the rain has all but stopped. The final watch has ended. So, everybody's awake. I, um, I'm not sure exactly how I do this, but I take the uh, Hierophant. Uh, yeah. That's the healer, right? Yep. So, uh, many classes have some sort of hour-long meditation or study or whatnot that yeah. they do to prepare their their class abilities uh as a medium you're doing a an hour-long seance okay uh so as a reanimated medium you would uh gain three points of influence up to eight i think right 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 or up to five i think up to uh, i don't know six it's written down somewhere six thank you and then you just you can pick your legendary influence, uh, though there would have to be some uh, some modicum, some uh, like hint of you know what makes up that spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in this case, a hierophant, a divine caster, uh, in a place like Gallowspire, while it's not you know traditionally like like holy or anything, uh, there are plenty of shrines to various deities here. Uh, that would still encompass that same that same energy, and so channeling a hierophant is easy enough. Um, Alrighty. And there is a little bonus thing where anybody who wants to like kind of participate in the seance, which just involves like remaining like close to you and like just kind of opening themselves up spiritually to the energies of your seance would also uh, receive you know one bonus or another for the day depending on the type of influence you channeled you know what uh, um Arginus is gonna as you're doing that um Arginus will uh will do like a harrow reading as well and uh will kind of just dish out a uh a plus one to uh Plus two to everything. I'll get back to that. But uh, yeah, our, our genius is throwing in a hero reading to give everybody their bonuses for that. Okay. Sweet. Uh, we got to get everyone on the team to have an hour prep sesh where we do wacky <laughs> shit. We all gather around and like, I'm mean, going to have a say. I'm going to do a hero reading. We're almost there. I mean, because Utrid needs yeah. an hour to prepare spells. Uh, yeah. Yep. Um, so for the Hierophant, your seance boon, anybody who participates in this. Uh, seance uh so if you participated in this seance your healing spells and abilities heal an additional two points of damage to each target this does not affect healing conferred by magic items nor does it add to fast healing or similar effects so if you don't have an ability to heal somebody you don't really gain a benefit from this so i think the only the only ones benefiting from this would be thalias and teobleth but yeah, somehow I don't picture Tia with joining me in my seance. At least not the first one. 
Um, also, Maybe I, he would. That that would be enjoyable. But <laughs> are are you picking the, the healer because we were hurt? Because well, mostly because Elksy's blind and oh, okay. uh, it was yeah. generally painful for all of us. Yeah, right. It's like a two two pronged thing. Something else you're gonna have to do, Joe, is choose uh, your hierophant spells. Right. So you have to just pick one spell per spell level that you can now cast, because the higher and they have their own list, right? Yeah. So you're picking from the cleric spell list. Mm -hmm. Uh, you 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 receive the spells per day as a medium or as a mesmerist of the same level as you. Uh, so you can cast up to fifth level spells now. Oh shit. Uh, and you receive one bonus spell known chosen from the cleric spell list per spell level that you can cast. So you're adding a first level spell known, a second level spell known, third, fourth, and fifth level spell known, in addition to automatically gaining the cure spells of each of those Gotcha. Levels. I wasn't sure if I had to pick those. That's automatic. Yeah. So you get Perfect. cure light, cure moderate, cure serious, cure critical, and cure light mass. And on top of that, you can now channel energy, I think... One plus your charisma per day. Got it right here. Uh, yep, one plus your charisma modifier. Okay, uh, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Charisma's four. Plus four. And I think uh, you just channel energy as a cleric of your level. So that's uh, 66 each time you channel. Wow. Yeah, so Hierophant gets you uh, a lot of... Uh, a lot of healing because on top of that you still have lay on hands and healing hands yep i'm an actual healer now hooray and then tomorrow i'm gonna pick up my shovel again ha <laughs> ha well the, the the cool thing is you can still use your shovel it's uh it's considered a yeah. it's considered a mace which you are still proficient in um but i don't get the totally badass uh attacks right that you, you don't get the champion yeah like the extra attack and yeah. I mean, no, you don't get that, but you still get, uh, like, depending on the cleric spells that you choose, you can still get some pretty ball and self buffs that can kind of bridge that gap, you know, as long Sweet. as you can cast those spells. But the the one spell that you are trying to take, that's the reason that you're channeling the Hierophant, is remove blindness slash deafness. Yep. That is a third level cleric spell. It cures blindness or deafness, your choice, whether the effect is normal or magical in nature. The spell does not restore ears or eyes that have been lost, but repairs them if they are damaged. Uh, no roll required, you just do it and it happens. Sweet. First things first after my uh, seance, that's what I'll do. I'll gather Elksy up and uh, perform my miracles. All right. Yeah. You place a hand on her head and you cast Remove Blindness Deafness and Elksy can see again. She she blink blink blinks, and she looks up at you and she says, "Thalias." I uh, yeah. I, I I can't I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. I um look really deep into Elsie's eyes as if I see something you know that that's in there, and uh, I thank her for I thank her again for being for being Elsie basically. Oh, get a room already. <laughs> okay okay. <laughs> Alright, so, uh, yeah, with that, I guess you guys can... Oh, I think, uh, our genus still had a Harrow reading to do, but we can, uh, we can get that started next week on the Inspired Incompetence Podcast. Yep. See ya!
Do you? Do you? Do you?